Wednesday. Oh, you got the color code uh, memo? Well, you know, black and gray, and we just... What's well, not to like, right? We just go with that. Yes, it's kind of a weird day here in California. It's like the cool wind, but like the warm sun. So it's like... It's like autumn in Oregon. Cold yeah. Warm. Well, sun is warm if it wasn't 51 degrees outside. Right. Right. Your idea of cool and our idea of cool, slightly different, possibly. Well, my ideal is cool as a Canadian who has been transplanted to California and is all over the place. Yeah, like 27 is toasty. Yes, not anymore. How was your rain last week? Didn't you guys get like dumped on? Yeah, my clinic bathroom um, ceiling caved in. No, and we're doing mold remediation as we speak? As we speak. I should be back in there tomorrow or Friday. Oh my gosh. Did the ceiling came in, cave in from the floor above or from this roof or? I'm in this beautiful historic building and my bathroom in the big treatment room is the old elevator shaft. Oh. So there's the, there's a square where the water just sits and we got all that dumpy rain and it just sat there. So when I opened up the clinic door last week, I was like, what's that smell? It smells like grandma's basement in Canada after like, <laughs> okay, I know this smell. Yes. And this is not a good smell. Not a good smell. And I opened up the door to the bathroom and the ceiling was literally just the Ooh. plaster. So it was, that can't be good. Wasn't good. No, but mm. it's okay. We'll survive. We'll get there. Yeah. Cool. How was your, how was your week? It was really good. I had interesting patience and. Um, the FSM clinic, maybe I should save that for when we're live. Or, yeah, oh, we're, we're kind of live, but yeah. Uh, so the FSM clinic website launched, well, it launched last week, but we announced it this morning. Oh, the emails. Have, like 10 donations to buy computers and fund pro bono patient treatments. Yes. This Monday, what's today, Wednesday, this week, they're putting in floors. And that means next week, my Pilates reformer gets delivered. So excited. Yes. I know you're going to, you'll be there. We're saving yep. place. Yes. And they're putting, they've put in the, the cabinets and I probably in two weeks, the countertops go in, in the training area and the residents and interns um, study area we have four desks one of which belongs to probably Candace Elliott as our research coordinator and then the other three um, are four practitioners in training yay oh excited I'm so excited um when is the official opening again January January 10th and that's assumed like Next week, I found out that in order to have a business license in Troutdale, you have to have a phone number. So I, the first time I can meet with the guy who does phone numbers is next Wednesday. Got it. So he'll do phone numbers and internet, and then there's business license, and then there's software. But I, I have December off from seeing patients. So 
I, that's when I get everything done. I hope. Perfect. December's always been my slowest month. Yeah. Well, it's for me, it's been, <laughs> it's December has been the month to have surgeries, right? So yes. those that were, could be put off. Yeah. We're put off to Thanksgiving week or now it's after, after San Francisco, no surgeries this year. That's the plan. Yep. Um, and clinic wise, I, I, when you're only seeing two or three patients a day, there is no slow month. They book out whenever they can. Yes. So it's pretty fun. And we have still have like today on the clinic website, there was a place. Do you, do you want to be um, sign up for training? We had 12, 12 people sign up. Uh, this is me looking at Kevin. 12 people sign up to be, um, to be interns for training. Yeah. Reserve a spot. So we're, it's, it's pretty exciting. It's like, it's really going to happen. It's really going to happen. And it's so overdue. Like, it's so great that it's, you're able to do this right now because it's, um, it makes me wonder about my sanity, but people have been asking for it literally since 1999. Yeah. So 20 years. And, but in 98 or 99, they started asking for a consumer book. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. So if you write a consumer book first, you never have credibility. So first you have to publish papers. So there were collected case reports, but we published what, 10 papers. Yeah. And then the textbook came out. So it's published papers, then the textbook. And then 10 years later, the resonance effect came out and then after that, the training center has some validity. We, the next step is actually to have, um, uh, what's the word? Some sort of university affiliation that gives it um, status or some sort of official designation. So right now, all you get is a plaque. We'll make it fancy to put on your wall that says you've done a one week, two week or four week internship and at the end of the two week and the four week training sessions I don't know what we're going to call them yet you'll have a paper ready to submit for publication that's that is the end point the two week and the four week at the end of the two week you'll have the outline at the end of the four week it will be ready for submission so on your cv it is John Smith or Jane Doe, um, whatever your clinical degree is, and any place you've lectured, how long you've been in practice, and your published papers. And that's how you build a CV, and that's how you become credible. And that's how FSM becomes credible. So we're doing it in order. My little Virgo self had to do it the right way. <laughs> I didn't understand that until I have a daughter that's a Virgo. And oh. so now I, I get what you just said has to be in order, has to be yep. the right way. And, you know, I think you've always been um, renowned for that, doing things the right way with safety and integrity 
And I think that's what sets our FSM practitioners apart from so many different modalities out there is that we have a, a high standard. Yep. It's not about the money. It's like, you want to do something else, do something else. You want to no. And once again, this is just such an organic segue to some of the list of topics <laughs> that yeah. I'd like to talk about today. So welcome everybody who's joining us live right now to our, I don't know what number this is. I think number nine, 10, 10? um, 11. 11. Jeez. 11. Wow. That's almost three months. That's not, no. Okay, fine. Fine. Yeah. It's our 11th podcast. Welcome um, practitioners and patients and everybody else who ends up listening to the two of us uh, go on and on and on about FSM and all the fun things that we get to do with it. So um, it was kind of a slow week for questions. So I'm not sure if we're doing such a fantastic job at explaining everything because normally when there's questions, that tells us what we need to do a better job explaining there, or teaching. There was a, a comment on Facebook about something we said last week, and that is, if you're treating the same thing over and over again, you're missing something. And I, I had to explain, it's like, well, it's, that's true generally in musculoskeletal. Yes. And where there's a stable state problem. Yes. So you're going to work on shoulder until the C5-6 disc is fixed. Right. Fixing, repairing the C5-6 disc, which irritates the subscapular nerve and the subscapularis muscle. Fixing the C5-6 disc is like fixing a sprained ankle. You have a sprained ankle in your neck right. that takes six weeks. So the patient sees you with, even with musculoskeletal, it's twice a week for four to six weeks. And if you're done in three weeks, then you turn them loose and that makes you a hero. Yay. But if they expect twice a week for four to six weeks, you have a sprained ankle in your neck, it's going to take six weeks to heal. And that is only true if you don't do something, my language, because I'm old and I can get away with it. My language is if you don't do something stupid, right? Right. Bending over to pick up 15 pounds of laundry when you have a C5-6 disc is stupid. It's, it's, it's not a good thing to do. Saying it's stupid is probably not correct, but it's, not, it's going to hurt, hurt the disc. Right. And so your healing, your six weeks starts from the time your arm or shoulder pain comes back and you do something silly like lift 15 pounds of laundry. In visceral conditions like asthma, SIBO, gastroparesis, um, there's, there's stable state issues that can be really complex. So this, this issue, let's just say SIBO, started when you had a really bad throat infection. So SIBO and gastroparesis, let's pick that. You had a really bad throat infection when you were 27 and now you're 45 and you've got allergies and this digestive thing and you're, um, you bloat up and you've constipated, all that stuff, all right? How do you get rid of SIBO and gastroparesis? Well, you treat the SIBO and the gastroparesis, but you have to get the vagus to work. 
So you're 47 now at the age of 27. When did all this start? I don't know, I had a really bad flu and a sore throat that lasted for like two or three weeks. Okay, what is what turns off the vagus? Infection, stress, and trauma. So at the age of 27, she had this really bad viral infection. And while she had the bad viral infection, she and her husband split up. So there's infection and stress. And four weeks later, she broke her leg. Okay, then, infection, stress, and trauma turned off the vagus. In order to fix the SIBO and gastroparesis 20 years down the road, she's already done the impossible diet for 10 years. That's not working. And the naturopath says, just be patient. It'll work eventually. And the MD loads on another anyway. So you go back and you treat the vagus for infection. How do you treat stress? Concussion, maybe PTSD trauma, maybe you have to go back and treat where the leg was broken. And since the leg was broken in a certain place, she has this chronic tendinopathy in her ankle that you actually might not think is connected to the SIBO and gastroparesis. But if there are tissue fragments from the tendinopathy, how do you get the vagus to turn back on? You treat the tendinopathy. What turns off the vagus? Infection, stress, and trauma. So you treat vagal tone, but you add all the viral frequencies plus malignant virus, plus common cold virus, blah, 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 strep, staph, whatever. You treat the vagus for the infection. You treat the stress, concussion protocol, PTSD, if it's still really obnoxious, maybe you don't have to. And then she says, oh, yeah, by the way, when we're done with my intestines, my right ankle, I have this tendon, it's just the thing in my ankle, thing in your ankle. And the, the major part of what I do, I don't know what you got, you all do, but is educating patients. It's like, the thing in your foot, the little tissue fragments are coming off that tendon. That's actually related to your SIBO and gastroparesis. Get out. It is not. No, really, truly it is. So that's, so that's the, it's not one and done, as you would say. It's, it's connected, especially in visceral conditions. Same thing with asthma. Same thing with any autoimmune disease. If you have any autoimmune condition, you don't have an autoimmune condition if the vagus is off, right? So I saw a lady yesterday. If, is it okay if I keep talking? Because I'm keep on. Going. Okay. Going. All right. So I saw a lady yesterday, her first visit, and she 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 comes in and she's. I'm glad you're sitting down. You ready? Um, she said her, her husband recruited her as a patient said, okay, I need to bring my wife to you. She has fibromyalgia. Okay. So she walks in and I have her new patient paperwork and there is no pain circled little circle on the right side of her neck and that's it. And then little, little circle in between her shoulder blades. And 
her left eye points straight ahead and her right eye points about 50 degrees off to the right. And she reports that she's blind in her right eye because of a thing. And then, but she can see out of her left eye. So I make eye contact with her left eye, trying to ignore the right one. And then she says, um, I've, I've got irritable bowel, um, slow motility. It takes her stomach five to six hours to empty. Okay, so she's close to being diagnosed as gastroparesis. And her major complaint is that she's dizzy. And I said, that's a good face. And I said, so when did you start being dizzy? Oh, about three years ago when I got a really bad ear infection. Yeah. So I didn't, it was so obvious from her symptom set, trouble going to sleep, sleeps two hours at a time, um, anxiety, worse when it rains, can't read. She's That's got, similar. duh, yeah. So I did put the tuning fork on the forehead and she heard it only in her left ear and then did the tuning fork side to side and um, it was hypersensitive on the left. Couldn't hear it much on the right. And it's like, I don't know which ear is busted, but one of them is. And I swear to you, they, they put her on antibiotics. She's got all this fluid in her ear. She's seen neurologists, ENTs. Um, she's only got vision in one eye and she lost her ears. So, and then she said, and I said, why? He said you were coming in for fibromyalgia. What's, what's that about? Oh, my left arm gets really painful. That's, that's a good face. It's a, your left arm gets painful? When? I don't know, just sometimes it gets really, really bad, but the right side of my neck hurt. My neck hurts. Pain in between the shoulder blades on the right. And, um, oh, I know. Her diagnosis is eosinophilic esophagitis. That's the diagnosis and gastroparesis. Eosinophilic esophagitis, most of you know what that is, but it's, it's an immune system reaction in the esophagus. And it's like the only people I know that have eosinophilic esophagitis are gluten sensitive. Yeah, we're trying to eliminate gluten. That's hard. No, actually in Oregon, it's really, really, really easy. And no wheat, no corn, no milk. Well, already no corn, no milk, but okay, we'll get serious about the wheat. So um, I said, do you lift anything? Like, how did you, do you lift? Does that make your arm hurt? I don't know, something random makes it hurt. We live on a five acre farm with, <clears throat> with chickens and I lift 40 pound sacks of chicken feed. It's a good face. And um, so, okay. So the patient education part was number one, you cannot have fibromyalgia of the left arm twice a month. That just, after you lift chicken feed, that's not fibromyalgia. Right. Right. So 
there was that. So I treated the left arm and I did, nobody had done a sensory exam. Nobody had touched her. She had no tender points. Sensation in C6 and C5 were gone. They were dull, nothing hypersensitive. So it was just these two nerve roots. Um, hyperactive patellar reflexes only on the left. So she has a broad base central disc bulge at C5-6, that's easy. Reflexes were normal. It was just sensory and, and deep tendon reflexes. So that was easy. So I treated the disc from her neck to her chest, treated the nerve from her neck to an arm. So I used an auto care and a precision care for that. Ran concussion and vagus from her neck to her pubic bone and then treated her esophagus. So treated inflammation in the esophagus so palpated her abdomen, 40 and 26 inflammation in the esophagus. And she went, oh, that feels so good. At which point she got a little drowsy. Then allergy reaction, then trauma, then the vagus, then I did 94, well, 40 and 89. So concussion and vagus is running on a custom care in the background. And then I did quiet the midbrain, quiet the medulla, trauma in the vagus. When I put increased secretions in the vagus from the neck to the pubic bone, she passed out. And we ran increased secretions in the vagus and vitality in the vagus for 45 minutes. It's the first time she'd slept in three years. So she was, you know, REM sleep, dreaming, the whole thing. Um, she came in dizzy. I gave her the air, because I have Meniere's, I have a barometer app on my phone. So um, I gave her a meclizine because the air pressure yesterday was 29, 20, uh, 9.6, 29.9, .9, you feel pretty good. 29.6, you feel pretty awful. So I gave her one meclizine before we even laid her down and then gave her another one when she got up off the table. I sent her to Dr. Reske, the FCOVD optometrist that's lecturing at the advanced. Um, I sent her to the only ENT left in town that I trust for vestibular injuries. I said, you need a diuretic, you need meclizine, you probably need Valium, but I don't think he's gonna prescribe it. And um, you need a diuretic to get the fluid out of your ear. And then you need eardrops with glycerin. They're using over-the-counter drops. They're not using the prescription drops to pull the fluid out of the ear. So, and then Rescue ENT. Oh yeah, and oh, by the way, she had a biggest a five centimeter by four centimeter squamous cell cancer on her middle of her back. And her doctors at Kaiser described a surgery that was so horrible that she opted to treat it with natural means. And I went, no, 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 it's good. Here's a dermatologist, it's worth the $400, go talk to him. There are other things you can do besides a scary surgery. So 
I saw her for three hours. She paid me $450. And we took care of all of it. And fully 50% of what I did was education. An right. hour and a half of treatment with three machines. And um, yeah, so that was my day yesterday. Did, what, did, how? Fibromyalgia, the left arm twice a month? Yeah. Did she come up with that herself or was that given to her by a medical professional? A real, real, well, an MD. Yep. Got with a white coat, name embroidered on the coat, stethoscope. I think there's a huge um, increase in these, you know, what I call garbage can diagnosis, whether um, frozen shoulder, fibromyalgia. Um, my favorite this year has been frozen knee. You have frozen knee syndrome. What? That's not even a thing. It's a thing. You can Google it. Um, people are making it a thing. So please stop making frozen things neat, like things, frozen ankle, frozen wrist. It's all going to start. Um, oh. What did Kevin say? Well, frozen what? Navel cavity. <laughs> Frozen navel. It, it'll be a thing you watch. So um, yeah, patient education. I wanted to just touch on um, first time you see a patient. I want to talk about that a little bit for the practitioners um, who are just starting to implement FSM. And for those of you who have been using it for a little while, I know it can be overwhelming because maybe you're used to doing 10 minutes, um, of assessment the first time you see a patient and then 40 minute treatment. It, I don't know about you, but you, you need to a lot, a lot longer for a new patient, um, when you start using FSM than without it, right. We're asking better questions. We're doing a more thorough exam. There's just more to it. And you should be compensated for that. You know, like you shouldn't just be, treating somebody for three hours, um, and not get paid. So I think the investment with FSM is yes, it's the education, it's the devices, but you get paid back very fast with the way you implement this into your practice. So, well, and the patients, if you're in a totally insurance-based practice, um, every, everything becomes um, 99205 and a 99415. Everything becomes complex. You have multiple diagnoses. And even if you have a, especially if you have a cash practice, these people are not wealthy, but I was the first physician who listened to them. Everybody else they see has seven to 10 minutes for a new patient history and physical. That's no. And the patients know that they're being shoved out the door as they enter. Yeah. When you sit down and say, so tell me when this started. And then you follow up. They appreciate it, especially when you can explain why you're asking and why it is you're going to do what you do. Right. The other, the thing, the place I thought you were going with that was how do you explain what you're about to do? So I get this patient on the table and I've got 
about to put wet wraps around her neck, wet wraps on her left hand, a washcloth on her belly. And as, but just before I'm applying all this wet stuff, or just as, it's like, so I'm gonna use, going to use frequency specific microcurrent on you. It's current you can't feel. So it's not like any current you've ever had before. And the frequency specific part, I got a list of frequencies from an osteopath who bought a practice in 1946 that came with a machine that was built in 1922. And that machine came with a list of frequencies. I got the list in 1995 and we started using them. Now for practitioners, you just say, um, I'm going to use frequency specific microcurrent. It's current you can't feel. It's the same kind of current your body produces on its own. So you can't feel it, but your body gets to use it directly to increase energy in the cells. So that's pretty cool. And I got this list of frequencies when I took this course and you can read about it on the internet. I'll tell you about it. But I got this list of frequencies when I took this course and the lady that taught the course got the list from an osteopath who bought a practice in 1946 that came with a machine that was made in 1922. And that machine came with the list of frequencies and then they started using them in 1995. So it's been in use, what, 26 years? And the frequencies appeared do exactly what they're described as doing. So they're frequencies you can't hear, they're electrical pulses, but that's what I'm gonna do. Is that okay with you? So there you've got done what is called PACU procedures, alternatives. Usually they've already had all the alternatives. Precautions, do you have a pacemaker? Are you pregnant, right? Um, and consent. Is, is that okay with you? And then it's always okay because they usually find us after they've been every place else. And at that point, I've got a wrap around her neck, a wrap around her hand, and I tell her, it's like, this, this machine here is gonna treat your left arm so it doesn't hurt anymore. So we did sensation, she knew it was numb. And in 45 minutes, sensation was normal. So I checked sensation before I hooked her. And this one is gonna be for the disc. And this one is to treat your esophagitis. So we got to turn the vagus back on. And for somebody who has one eye and a vestibular injury in the missing, in the, in the ear that goes with that eye. So your vagus is constantly being turned off because about every hour and a half, the lizard brain part of your brain thinks you're falling off the edge of the planet. Right. So there's constant stress. So this isn't going to last. You're going to need a custom care because it's silly to come and pay me. And they said, well, we're going to have to save up for a couple of months. I said, that's fine. You'll feel better for, I don't know, two, three days, maybe a week. So that's cool. But at least now everything you have makes sense. Yeah. And I'll see you in January. So, so that's yeah. the first visit. Right. Very good. <laughs> Short version. 
I want to um, just go on to the chat quick because there's a question kind of regarding this. It says here, if the frequencies mix in the towels, then when you are treating the vagus nerve on one machine and you have the leads for another machine on the same towels, do you have to be aware of not running anything with 40 on A on the other machine? Denise, that's a really good question. And you see this look on my face like, that didn't even occur to me because they, no, I, 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 maybe I should, but I'm not. 40 and 396 needed to run for 40 minutes. And then I ran 81 and 396. And you ran 40 and um, whatever the esophagus is. Yep, 40 in the esophagus. 40 and 89, 40 and 94. Uh, I, using multiple machines works. And if you don't understand why, you can, you and me are on the same page because I don't understand it either. So it's a really good question. And no, it didn't even occur to me because. How we normally explain it, I think I've heard you say it. If you've got, you know, so you've got 40 and esophagus running the machine that's running the Vegas, those two contacts are just talking to each other. Correct. If yeah, I'm wrong. Right. Is. So it doesn't mix. So the 40 doesn't mix with the other B channels from one machine. They just are having their own conversation. So I can't remember who it was. It was like Roger Billica, or maybe it was Dr. Musnick. It was at the advanced could have even been Paris. We were talking about multiple machines and was it missed? Was it Dr. Oshman? I don't know. It was somebody brilliant speaking who said it's like the equivalent of having five different conversations happening in the same room. We're not mixing words, but each person is having its own conversation, even though there's multiple words um, being spoken. I think that's a the best description I've heard, George said the two machines don't see each other. See each other. Okay. So same see thing. Each Speak each. Yeah. Okay. Um, can we use two magnetic converters running at the same time with different frequencies? I think so. I mean, uh, I don't see why not. It's, it would be the same principle, right? Right. The converters have both channels in both magnetic heads. Right. So, if any of it makes sense, then all variations of it would make sense. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure how I could practice with just one machine anymore. You, you go from practicing to, I don't know how I could practice without a machine to, I don't know how I could practice without multiple machines. Um, when we, when we start the clinic, um, there's going to be a fair amount of equipment expense because Every, we have four treatment rooms and a gym. And so that's five. And every room will have two precision cares. Maybe I can get some auto cares and two custom, one or two custom cares, plus a laptop that's able to reprogram the custom cares as you need to. Because you can, you can have clinic custom cares where you can just have four or five programs on it. Exactly. And then reprogram it. It's okay. This one, I, this lady, I ran concussion in Vegas without 94 and 94 because right. she was so bad, so dizzy already that I didn't want to take a chance on that reaction. 
Right. So that's, yeah, I don't, I routinely use four or five machines on one patient. I still haven't matched Ben Catholi's record of seven machines on a two-year-old. Wow. Seven. And I still don't know how he did it. I'm trying to. There must have been some sort of like puppet show going on that this child was able to sit still too for so long. Oh, well, the kids get stoned. Yeah. I mean, if you know, you've ever treated a horse or a dog, the dog just goes and the horse goes, well, horses are amazing. Yeah. And so the, they start the concussion protocol. So first, so the kid gets floaty and children who are in a rehab hospital are used to being messed with. Right. And so they have learned from a very early age to just be patient and let people mess with them. Right. And the PTs, you know, play with them with toys. And then when they get stoned, it's just really easy. Right. Fun. I just want to um, mention something here, going back to our first patient or our first visit with a patient. It's overwhelming. I mean, you've been doing this for so long, so you can, your, your cerebral mode bank is not like the rest of us. And I want to just have everybody come down off the ceiling, all the practitioners that are listening, you are not expected to have all this in your brain. So what, and if you can't fathom seeing a patient for three hours, um, like what I do is I try to do a very thorough intake before they come in. So if you can't do a zoom call or something to dig into their history, have them write a chronological kind of history, have them email it to you. So sometimes that helps me at night before I see a new patient, I can read it. So you can at least jot some notes down that, okay, maybe there could be virus or there could be vestibular, just something to get you thinking, because if you have a new patient and they are throwing all of this at you and you're not really that savvy with your frequencies, it can be really overwhelming. And I think some practitioners panic and then they back away. Um, so, well, and the, in my, um, new patient information, um, they, they are asked to provide a chronologic history. Right. And her, her new patient form was completely blank. So it's, so it's like, okay, when did this start? Well, when I was, and, and that the history took about 45 minutes. So if you make it linear, now it's really challenging when you have patients that have brain injuries so they they provide what is called a tangential history they bounce all over the place and after the first or second bounce you say wait 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 let's go back 1997 you were in a 50 mile an hour head-on collision. Let's start there. Well, if I, if I, then I won't get to everything else. I said, everything else after that date is irrelevant. Let's start from there. And you really have to dig your heels in and make them be linear. Okay, then what was the next thing? Well, then I had a hysterectomy in 2000. Okay. And then I had this, and then I had, and you have to 
you can direct the history. You are allowed, they are paying you to direct the history. Just because they want to be all over the map doesn't mean right. you have to let them. Right. And so I ask them to provide a linear history. I have a history form, but the most important part is the pain diagram. Yes. And then the history form, but you're right. It, it can be overwhelming. And I've been doing this for 25 years. Right. So a lot of us have not been doing it that long. Some of us have been in practice for 25 years, but not with this amazing new tool that changes everything that you know about everything. So I just wanted to, like I said, I wanted to calm down all the practitioners listening. And for the patients that are listening, there is a reason why you're, you have to be so detailed with your history for us and um, be patient with the exam in the beginning. So take your time, everybody be detailed. And a lot of times patients, they think they've given you everything and then you start treating them. And then it's like this memory, these memories come up and it's, um, Oh yeah. I forgot. I broke those three ribs that actually yeah. happened to me. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm so patient did that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had those three broken ribs and then two years later I broke them again. Right. Seriously? Right. Okay. I know it's fantastic. You forget three broken ribs. Well, when you have other things to think about, like raising a family or playing a sport and you just have to get through it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the investigational frequencies that we have or the um, advanced laminate. So for those of you who have taken the core, you get a laminate with the list of frequencies and then you come to the advanced and we rewrite <laughs> the narrative and traumatize everybody all over again um but the we make more brain connections Think we do. as implementing brain plasticity on a regular basis oh it's a beautiful way of digesting that <laughs> makes it sound so fluffy and yummy and inviting and not as scary and as you would say you're welcome and i'm sorry <laughs> That's exactly, I'll never forget walking into my first advance and I thought I had some swagger because I've been doing this for a while and I'm like, how much more complex could it get? And then I took my little laminate and I saw there's four laminates and I was like, well, no, <laughs> this just can't be, there can't be there's that many colorful metaphors going on in your head. Yes. So how much of the four pages of advanced frequencies do you use? Um, that's a really good question. I because we, we all tend to have our favorites, right? We have our, our core connective tissue. Like we have our, we have our core solid go-to frequencies, but are there times where you're like, no, it's not periosteum, it's clavicle or whatever clavicle is like how specific do yeah. you personally get with these? 85%, 80 to 85% of every patient you see, you can treat successfully with what you know in the core and the webinars. Right. So that's why the vagus nerve got moved from the advanced to the core. Yes. It just, you can't. And that's why the core has gone from two days to three days to four days to five days 
And that's why we split it into two three-day modules. And both three-day modules contain the Vegas because you can't, and the Vegas used to be in the advanced only. Yes. Okay. So 85% of what you need to do on anybody is in the core. The other 15%, the, the channel A frequencies are the ones that are the most different. If you ask Ben Catholi, the channel B frequencies, so his case report this year is on small fiber neuropathies, which I've never seen, never heard of, but Ben sees a lot of them because he's a physiatrist at the biggest rehab hospital in the country. And George came up with a frequency for small fibers, which are the little fibers at the end of the main nerves where the little nerves split off. And so Ben's going to do a case report on that. So if you ever see somebody with a small fiber neuropathy, it's there in the investigational list. Virtually all of our investigational frequencies are ones that George came up with. He has a way of dowsing for them. Okay. And I put a little eye next to them and I yes. put them in their own little separate box. Yep. They're in, they're in quarantine until we get objective proof. Yep right there. Oh, look at that. That's so cool. Um, until we get objective proof with irrefutable clinical response that is so clear, it couldn't be anything else. So we had somebody with a known pons stroke, 22 years old, had a pons stroke when she was 16. She was completely rigid and spastic. And, I, and we had the pons frequency and I ran increased secretions in the pons. And in 30 minutes, she could be passively ranged with no spasticity whatsoever. Known lesion, only possible response. The little eye went off the frequency for the pons that day, it's 454. Um, the dura used to be investigational, oh. not anymore. The yeah. arachnoid, not anymore. Um, I'm thinking small fiber neuropathy is going to come off sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. I try to keep the original list clean. Even the West Indies frequencies where they match most of the time um, wander off, right? They're not ones you use all the time. So there's a frequency in the West Indies, West Indies list which we give out at the advanced for wheat and corn and chicken feathers. I, I lose it at chicken feathers, but let's say wheat and corn. And what, and I never used them. One of our practitioners, who's somebody that worked in my office in 1998 and Libby emailed me and said, Hey, I have a patient who has joint pain and she's gluten sensitive and I ran the frequency for wheat in the joint capsule, the cartilage, and the synovial fluid, and all the joint pain went away. It's like, get out. So when we do the advanced, that's the section that I do while you're off teaching your three-hour specialty workshop, right? And um, 
So the channel A frequencies, so malignant virus is now in the visceral core laminate. Um, what's the one for Qatar? Qataral toxin is an AB pair on the Abrams list. Yes, it's uh, 52 on A, 72 on B. And in 23 years, I had never used that combination. Okay. On the advanced, there's a frequency 17 for catarrhal toxin, which you, I think it's 17, maybe it's 14, anyway. And you combine that with the lung. What is catarrhal toxin? I'm trying to find it. I have to look on at the buddy maybe. Oh, um, uh, 17, yes. It is 17, okay. Yeah. So I was in Germany and we were treating this lady from India who at the, at the core and she stayed at the end of the day and she said, you promised you were gonna treat me. And she had the gurgliest, wettest asthma I've ever heard. Like when she inhaled, it was like she was, you know, like there were bubbles. And so I ran the normal asthma stuff. And then it's like, I ran scarring in the bronchi so asthma is bronchial, not lung. Around scarring in the bronchi. And at that point, <laughs> hi puppy. At that point, she started coughing spas just spasmodically. And she coughed up, we handed her a Kleenex, she coughed up this glop of green mucus. It's like you. And one of the ladies in the in the group said that's Qatar and I went it is I've never known what Qatar was so we ran Qatar toxin whatever that pair was and we ran Qatar Qatar toxin in the bronchi and now there is a frequency for the bronchioles thanks to George that's got a little eye after it and that's thanks to Dana Pletcher. And she coughed up some more green goo, but her asthma, she fell asleep. We treated her for 20 minutes. Her asthma completely went away. And I said, the mucus in your lungs is green. You've had an infection since you were 12. You're now 40 something. I know you're a naturopath, but you are to go home and go on antibiotics for 10 days. Uh-uh. It's green. Green is not a good color for mucus. Yeah. But the only way I found it out was by treating the bronchi for fibrosis. And then when she coughed up this green goo, somebody else had to tell me what Qatar was. Right. So on the advanced list you're mostly going to use the channel a's so if you look in the compendium there is a shirley hartman lecture that is the channel a's you never think of oh. because shirley hartman i believe is the only person on the planet that has the entire channel a list memorized done like 
we were we would be talking about a case and Shirley would say, well, why don't you use so-and-so, which is the frequency for for whatever. And it's like, there's a frequency for that. Jeez. So, and for me, I have to look down the list. So I I still cling to my laminate, even though I have the buddy. I was just gonna say there's something sometimes when again you get overwhelmed, like there's so many frequencies. Go with what you know or go in the neighborhood close to your hypothesis, right? And as they're marinating, I take out my list. And then this is what my patients say. I'm like, I'm mean, just going to marinate for a few minutes. And then there's something um, inspiring. And um, it's like it just stands out on the page. Yes, it comes to you. So when you're looking at whether it's an A channel or B channel, what am I missing? There is something um, helpful to have this piece of paper with you to, even if it's totally different than what you think you're looking for, you're like, no, it's not scarred, it's sclerotic, or it's hard, or it's not the stomach, or then you have your netters open. And then that's the other thing. Sometimes you're looking through your frequencies, and sometimes I'm just looking at netter going, okay, what's near that? Maybe it's not this because I'm pretty good palpator, but we don't have x-ray vision. We can't always feel exactly what vessel structure, fascia, organ, nerve. Was the patient that swore, swore that all of his pain was from scarring in the nerve. Yeah. And I looked at where he was pointing and it was connective tissue and the only thing that worked, scarring in the nerve didn't work. So I ran that 15, 20 minutes and did all my thing and it just kept getting more aggravated. So I opened Netter and there's this big band of connective tissue right under where that nerve is. And it's like, it couldn't be that easy after wasting, spending 20 minutes on it. So I run 124 and connective tissue because of Netter and the scar tissue and the nerve pain went away. Right. And then the other thing that's in the advanced is more details. So the kidney is in the core. That's 23. In the advanced, there's the kidney tubule. And if you've ever been to uh the plastination, the body worlds. If you've ever oh. been to body worlds, yes. And you've seen the kidney where they take away the kidney and all that's left is this lace of capillaries. So the kidney is the tubules, but every teeny tubule has a capillary. So the kidney is not just 23, the kidney. Sometimes it's 63, the tubule. And it's once it's not arteries because the last artery is what goes into the kidney. When you get into the kidney tissue, it's capillary is 162, right? right? So how often do I use that? Once every two years, would I keep those frequencies in my head? Well, after 25 years, once every one or two years, eventually you remember them. Right. You look at the laminate and like you said, what am I missing? Right. 
Well, that's how I um, fell in love with hypoxia. When on earth would I ever think twice about something that said hypoxia? I didn't, I'm, but I believe you. Well, it's, and then once you get results with it, it's, you can't not see it. You can't not think about something like that. And I refuse to believe that the osteopaths in the twenties were that literal thinking something is hypoxic. But when you think of anything that hasn't moved in a while, it doesn't get normal supply. So well, eight, 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 eighty and 7.4 used to have a little I next to it. That's a, that's a George frequency from 1998, probably. And we used it in COPD and the patient goes from gray to pink. So that's when the eye came off. Yeah. In about 2002, when I treated my third or fourth hypoxic COPD patient. Yeah. It's like, okay, I give up, took the eye off and then apply it only with asthma and COPD and that's about it. So when you put it into the musculoskeletal section, it's like, oh, okay. Makes makes sense, right? When you can apply things locally. And that's why I think what we do, how we've changed the way that we're teaching it, this triggers that chain of critical thinking of what's wrong with it. Right. Like if I didn't think like that, I would have never thought to use that. What's wrong with it. It hasn't had supply. It hasn't had blood supply because it's been scarred and stuck. So, um, Alf just said, I use hypoxia oh. brain injuries. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And for the new practitioners don't panic I'm <laughs> doing this for 10 years, 12, so almost 13, almost 13. I've been doing it for 25. And when we talk about using five machines and getting six things done in one session, I don't want to create the expectation that you're somehow failing if you don't do six things on the first session. Right. You, the expectation you create with the patient is twice a week for four to six weeks. That gives them time for the stable state to create a stable state. It gives you time to figure out what else is going on because I swear to you, anything that happens on the first session, you're going to have in the back of your head, what's left? So the patient comes back, right? And managing patient expectations before I touch anybody on the first visit the thing that I say out loud is my goal today is to not make you worse they have been made worse by so many therapists doctors chiropractors whatever my goal today is to not make you worse oh okay so that sort of lowers the expectation bar because an awful lot of people, when they find us on the internet, they come in expecting Harry Potter, right? And Madame Pomfrey. It's just like magic. It's going to be all gone. No. So twice a week for four to six weeks. And my goal today is to not make you worse. Yeah, that's that's fantastic for the patients too. Um, 
yeah. I mean, we're, we're humans. This is not fairy dust and all the other things. And yeah, if you can make an, you know, you say I, my goal is to not make you worse. I'll say something similar. Like my goal is to just make a dent in this today, you know? So especially that first one, because you're trying to digest it. You're trying to figure out. And that's what I said, like for those new patients, even if you get the most thorough, most comprehensive history that with all the imaging and they didn't miss a thing, it is so hard to pick up on where do I start and how long do I run this? And you, you, you can't do it all in one treatment. And you peel the layers off until it becomes, it's like second nature. So you look at the pain diagram and you listen to the history and Every single time I get excited and I don't do a sensory exam and I don't do reflexes every single time. Yeah. It's, I get nailed. Oh, I know what this is. No, no, I didn't. And the sensory exam, um, similar to using active, passive, resisted range of motion, even though I know for a fact what's tight, what's restricted, what's scarred, it's a good marker, you know, especially if you have a patient that's a little bit um, hesitant or a non-believer, at least they have something in their head going, I could only bring my shoulder up to here. And then now it goes up to here and it doesn't hurt. So similar to the sensory exam, it's such a great marker. You start and it's hyper on one side and then halfway through you check and now it's kind of nummy and you're like, oh, that's great. And they're like, what do you mean? It's great. Well, it used to be really icky and now it's kind of numbing. And the next time we do it, it's probably going to be normal. Um, or you, maybe you don't say that out loud, but in your head, you're saying this. What you say to the patient is when it's, if it's, it, they go from normal to hypersensitive to numb. So when it's numb, they go from numb through hypersensitive back to normal. So it's kind of that train. So yeah, exactly. So it's so range of motion and anytime you're dealing with a shoulder, you always have to check sensation because 100% of the time shoulder issues are start with a C5-6 disc that makes a subscap tight that causes the partial thickness tendon tear that causes the supraspinatus bursitis or infraspinatus bursitis. That's what they think they're coming for. Right. Right. So yeah, I have bursitis and I can only go to here. Uh-huh. How's that? Ow. What is that? Ick. And then you put your finger in their armpit and that it's, then you explain how all those things are connected. Right. And, and that's not to say you can only treat the disc until the shoulder pain goes away. You have to treat things. No, <laughs> you make that face, but sometimes we're hearing things differently, right? Oh, so okay. yes, it's come because you said hundred percent of the time it's coming from the disc. It is for sure. But that's not to say with multiple machines, with multiple treatments, you're not going to gain some benefit, but yes, you have to treat the disc, treat the nerve, treat the nerve corner broken in the most of the tendons except for the supraspinatus most of the tendons in the shoulder are flat yes so it's always 124 and 77 but none of that matters unless you take the scarring out of the subscapularis right 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 so it's like it 
and it becomes, I, I'm hoping that if, as we say this more and more times, the, the pattern will become, because all of medicine is pattern recognition. Correct. Right? So yeah. what we think of as the shoulder in, in the pattern recognition part is disc to five, six nerve to subscap to tendonitis, tendinopathy to bursitis because it doesn't, um, when the humeral head goes down, that's called whatever that word is. Depression and rotation. So, yeah. So, so all of those, that's all one sentence. Correct. Once you see it, you can't ever unsee it. Right. You, and you all you have to do is treat someone's disc and palpate their subscap. And then all of a sudden it lets you in because you're treating the disc and the nerve. And, and, the nerve. and that wouldn't make sense normally because having somebody stick your thumb in their subscap is never a pleasant experience. <clears throat> Unless you're on 40 and 396 first. Correct. So when people are saying, well, what do I run first? Well, it's the nerve and the disc and why is it tight? And, uh, and then it's a whole conversation. And it's the supine neck and shoulders. So when we do so excited, we just, we made plane reservations and hotel reservations for San Francisco for the practicum training. And I'm bringing the big screen in my truck. So. Woohoo. And um, so the, the supine neck and shoulder that's why that's the first practicum yeah because it puts all of those together the thing i have to change in that practicum is to include the concept in the slides so remember the part where i gave you the slides for that today kevin yeah i gave kevin the slides for that practicum um i lied i'm gonna change them a little bit so um so it's too late so we have to introduce the concept of you of connecting the dots by with multiple machines treat the disc treat the nerve treat the shoulder at least treat the disc then treat the nerve right so you can use a precision care and a custom care to treat the disc that's that would be that would work yes yay we get to go to francisco yes we are almost out of time. We got through half of my list today, but you had so many great stories. So we couldn't, uh, okay. you, any, we have two minutes. We can do some lists. There's no questions. Go. That's, this is going to pop up because for sure patients are going to, or for sure people listening are going to have questions because it always happens towards the end. Yeah. But just really quickly, I had um, a comment about treating kids and teenagers, um, it was a couple of weeks ago that I've been dancing around and I treat a lot of young little athletes and it is surprising in the last 10 years for sure of my practice, how many teenagers are coming in with repetitive strain injuries. What's up with that? Well, they're being forced to specialize, right? Um, 20 years ago, um, sports were seasonal in Canada in the winter. Y'all played hockey. And in the summertime, you played soccer or baseball or football, and you had a change of muscle pattern, but now everybody's forced to hyper-specialize so young. So we're seeing kids burnt out mentally and physically now. So aside when anybody comes into your practice with 
anything that says repetitive strain, you should be screaming. Your brain should be screaming one frequency on that A channel. 124. Exactly. It's torn and broken. It's fatigued. It's pissed off. It's stretched. It's frayed. It's giving a giant like middle finger to the world. And concussion and vagus because the vagus, so when they're under that much stress and there are tissue fragments, the vagus gets turned off by infection, stress, and trauma. The kids are stressed. They have tissue fragments floating around. The vagus gets turned down and the vagus has its job to suppress inflammation. So when, so the, the two kind of go together, but the way to get the vagus to stop being messed up is to do torn and broken and Yes. So that's, yes. So um, it's not that complicated. So people, whenever we see repetitive strain, whether it's like a worker's comp claim or somebody that's cashier and always doing the same thing, um, you're right. It's more than just torn and broken. That will definitely get the pain and inflammation down. Um, But yeah, there's the um, concussion and vagus component to it as well. Well, in torn and broken, the pain goes down in five minutes. Yes. That's a sucker play. The pain goes down to five minutes, but they need to marinate. Yes. For a while. Yes, they do. I want to um, just make mention. We have a new website for the clinic, right? It's, um, yeah. I want to make sure we can direct people to that. Yeah. FSMclinic.com. FSMclinic.com. You can see everything being built. It's like, when you're watching a zoo baby being born and you're watching the webcam on the mama, so you can see the clinic being born. Um, And then frequencyspecific.com, you can go to look at all the courses that are coming up. There's a list of when there's practicums coming up, the advanced signups are there. We have an end of the year sale coming up after Thanksgiving for devices, I believe. Cyber Monday to December 31st. Okay. If you need, if you need devices, that's a good time to purchase them. And we're going, I'm so excited. We get to go to Cleveland. I get to give Dave Burke a big hug in <sighs> January. January. In the Midwest, you got Cleveland in January and we're going to Chicago in the fall for the two day practicum. So nice. And people can look on the website, right? For all that information. Sure. Um, and then your course in Phoenix. That's my course in Phoenix, super excited. If you want to take the um, normal sports course, it's the Monday and Tuesday of the advance. You can sign up on frequencyspecific.com. And then we have the um, coveted sports advance course for one day. So that's going to be so much fun. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of great things after that. So instructor training too on the Monday. Instructor training the following Monday. Right. After the advanced. Right. Perfect. Well, all that information's there. It was so great to see you again. Fastest hour of the week right here. Yep, absolutely. So keep the questions coming and um, yeah, we'll see you next week. See you next week. Do good Bye, everybody. Yay. Bye. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. 
No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.